Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Engage with God in. And, uh, so here we are in the Palm Sunday, and it's the beginning, the symbolic beginning of Jesus walking to the cross, beginning this agonizing week of pain. And uh, as I was thinking about this passage, which I've preached a couple times before, but I thought about just how beautiful it is, how beautiful this agonizing week is, and how Jesus has permanently reformed our understanding of what beauty is, how he's permanently and hopelessly and recklessly reshaped what we think something that's desirable or something that's beautiful is supposed to look like, how it is supposed to um, encounter us, that he could take the ugliness of the cross, he could take the ugliness of betrayal, he can take the ugliness of being stripped bare of everything that you have and make it this glorious, beautiful thing that can become actually desirable. And that is the grace of the cross that we are, he's permanently put death to shame. How do you make death shameful? How do you make betrayal beautiful? You do so when you are the way, the truth, and the life. My, there are a lot of different um, definitions of beauty. My definition of beauty is the revelation of truth. That he was so thoroughly and perfectly the truth that the revelation of him becoming that becomes beautiful to us. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus revealing himself. So starting in Matthew 21, The context of this scripture is Jesus has just spent a lot of time in Bethany. Bethany is his home base. It's like, it's his crib where he hangs out. It just feels, you know, it's comfortable. It's where Lazarus, Mary and Martha, where their home is. He has just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is from the Matthew passage, but in the John passage, it talks about how people were seeking to kill Lazarus because Lazarus was a testimony of Jesus's power because, hey, he's walking around and he was dead. So that means that Jesus must be truly who he is. Bethany is where he was anointed with the costly oil. Like, this is, this is where he feels like he's at home. And he's spending this entire week going from Bethany, which is just east of Jerusalem. So he's going from Bethany back to Jerusalem, and he's not staying overnight because he knows when he stays overnight that he won't make it to the next morning. So every morning he's going back and forth in this agonizing week, understanding that he's supposed to give his life. And in the midst of this, he comes with this triumphal entry into the East Gate of Jerusalem. It's also called the Golden Gate, but we'll get to that. So in, 
It starts in, in five. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, a baby donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is a prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus comes into the east gate, which was known by, through Ezekiel and Isaiah, as a gate that the Messiah was supposed to come into. And now it is believed that it is the gate through which the Messiah will return. So when Jerusalem became under um, Muslim control, they blocked the gate as if that's going to stop Jesus. Come on. But the gate now is sealed up completely, but it's considered one of the most holy sites in Jerusalem. So when you approach it, it is surrounded by cemeteries. You know why? Because when the king comes back, everybody is supposed to rise to life. So it's crowded by cemeteries because people are like, I need a front row seat. <laughs> So all these people in graves are right up to this, this wall in the east gate where Jesus came in during this time. And it's called the Golden Gate, but it's also called the Beautiful Gate. And here he comes on these palm fronds, and people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, save us. It's the tradition of kings coming back after they conquered some territories, and they will pull other kings behind them. And people would say, yes, they would shout out their request to the king because, hey, he's coming in. He's just killed whoever this person is that he's dragging behind him. And he is in his pomp and his splendor. And they're celebrating Jesus saying, man, he's amazing. He's wonderful. But here he is riding on a colt. He's riding on a donkey as if someone who was the president and is coming into San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's doing so in the most humble way possible. Think of, of a way that a billionaire would want to enter a city. They would want to enter a city, private jet probably. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to be flying standby. I'm a billionaire. He eschews all of that authority so he can enter in the most humble way possible. He is reforming what we think it is to be beautiful, to be influential, to be powerful, to actually be a king coming in this way through the beautiful gate. There's this quote from Bianca Sparacino. This has just been wrecking me lately. Nothing beautiful ever asks for attention. It just naturally exists as it is in confidence and boldness doesn't ask for attention. As beauty is the revelation of truth, truth exists no matter what happens. You think about all of the kingdoms that have arrayed themselves against the Bible and against the name, the most offensive name that has ever been uttered, which is Jesus. They're all gone, and here we have Jesus. 
you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our King. This is him entering into Jerusalem through the beautiful gate, not seeking attention, not in a Bentley, but humbly upon a donkey. And this is him beginning to reform what is supposed to be desirable to us. But look, we live in a world where there are million-dollar houses, where there are billion-dollar businesses, where there are all these things that can be desirable to us. And Jesus is saying, no, focus on the truth. Don't focus on the adornment. Don't focus on the gildedness of this life that we live. It's crazy that his ability to reshape what we think beauty is even applies to the very cross that is now gilded and golden and desirable, but before it was a cursed, shriveled-up tree that no one wanted to be associated with. This cross, this cruciform, has become beautiful to us, beautiful as a part of our faith. And I love seeing a glimpse of Jesus as he calls us into a life lived of gentleness and of a life that doesn't seek attention but is found in him. Such an agonizing week. But he exists as it is in confidence and boldness. The truth, turn to your neighbor and say the truth. As Spike Lee would say in his movies, and that's the truth, Ruth. And that's Jesus. After he is, you see Jesus who has entered into Jerusalem through the east gate. He goes into the temples. I don't have it up here, but I'll read it. He goes into the temple, and this is when he gets busy. And he goes and Jesus enters the temples and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. So he goes right from celebration to cleansing the temple because people have called it a den of robbers. They have made it a, it's a house of prayer, but they have made it a den of robbers and thieves. And, you know, this is a lot of, sometimes people use this passage to uh, justify being angry. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was angry, come on. This is one passage, man, come on. <laughs> um, but he goes into the temple and begins to heal and minister to people. Um, and then is the puzzling encounter after he leaves the temple and he's on the way to Bethany in the morning again, and he encounters this fig tree. I've always wondered, what in the heck, why is this story where it is? Like, he's just been triumphant, he's just been to the mountaintop, had this amazing experience, and then all of a sudden, here's this, like, nasty fig tree. What does this even mean? Why is it here? 
Like, I hate figs. <laughs> Anybody like figs? <laughs> Undried figs? Wow. All right. <laughs> Jesus, just pray for deliverance. No. <laughs> and this is starting at uh, 21 and 18. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. That's just, that's just plain mean, Jesus. Plain mean. No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And in the context of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it's a show. Everybody's happy. Yeah, there's our king. We're coming. And he goes into the temple and he finds out, oh, y'all don't know what kind of kingdom is actually coming. Because there seems to be emptiness in the temple when there should be fullness. See, it's like so easy for us to look at the show on the outside and believe that there's truth inside. We become convinced of the substantiality of truth when it may just be a show. How many people have ever sat down for a meal and said, you know, I'm really hungry right now. I want to be full. How about some cotton candy? That, that would be just tasty, you know, it's the, the brightest color, it's amazing, it seems to be feeling unsubstantial. It's beautiful, but it's unsubstantial. It looks good to the eyes, as many has learned to pass the eye test. And Jesus is saying, no, beauty is the revelation of truly who you are. And sometimes we don't get to know truly who we are until it looks like this until we're under pressure, until we're facing a week of agony, then we really find out what we're made of and who we are and how substantial is the truth of who our house is built on. And I love that Jesus has shown us the way. In Psalm 50 and 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Out of Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. The perfection that is found in Jesus Christ. He encounters this after he has been in the temple teaching, and he curses it and shrivels it up because it's showing leaves, but it has no fruit. You look good. You look sexy. But ain't nothing back there. Ain't what, what's in here, which is where beauty is? We, we look, and I was running the other day, and I passed by this lady, and uh, she gave me a look of horror, you know? And I, I don't know the reason why, but I, I think it has something to do with she had some kind of physical deformity, and I think maybe she's used to receiving that look. And when I looked at her, all I could see 
was Jesus. All I could see, all I could see was the truth of who she really was and knew that every single bit of things that people have judged for so long was only a glimpse of the truth of who she really was. And it was a reaction like that that I didn't even get time to think about it. It was like she was bracing for me to recoil. But instead I smiled because I saw the beauty of the truth of who she was. But in our life, we see a lot of leaves, but no fruit. We see a lot of beauty, but no truth. And Jesus is permanently telling us, it's actually what's on it. It's, yeah, it's actually that that matters. It's not just what passed the eye test, what we see, what looks like cotton candy, but it's actually the truth. Can you tell I've been in Vegas recently? <laughs> Lights flashing, attention, come over here. This is awesome. This is amazing. Run up and see this. And you're like, what? It's just a smoky casino. What? <laughs> the truth. Jesus, of course, is showing us the way in the Beatitudes. He shows us what real beauty is. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they shall be filled. It's crazy, that word righteousness also means justice, but it's always translated as righteousness. Why? Because justice means you got to go do something. Righteousness means I could just, I can hunger at home. I really need it. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is how We don't live in a society where any of this is desirable. It's not beautiful at all. And this is Jesus giving his ethos from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives rests above the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on this mount giving the Olivet Sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice for they shall be filled. He is giving us a glimpse of what beauty really is. And of course, beauty is in the name, the Beatitudes. This statement, this sermon of what true blessedness is. In John 14, Jesus says, those who abide in me, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is the way. You know what happens when we're all leaves? 
something called ego. We are very solidly aware of how important and awesome we are, but not so aware of the truth. I saw this interview with uh, Mike Tyson. It was Joe Rogan. He was interviewing Mike Tyson. Anybody not know who Mike Tyson is? Youngest heavyweight champion in the world. And he's interviewing. He's like, man, do you ever go hit the bag? You know what I'm saying? Like, just get out there and lift some weights and stuff. And Mike Tyson, he was like 18. He was a heavyweight champion of the world. Now he's like 40, 50, an older man. He's like, no, I never, I don't do that. Nope. Nope. Guy's like, what? Really, man? I mean, you were like the greatest. What? Why not? He's like, because I've seen the ego. I've seen it rise, and it wrecked his life because all the leaves are there, but the truth has not been substantiated. And that's why Jesus is giving this sermon of what really we should form our life on. In a Christian nation full of so many awesome people and Christian companies with fishes on their cards and huge cultural shifts based upon the tenets of Christianity, still these beatitudes seem very foreign. Very foreign. Blessed are the meek, what? Those who mourn, like, is something desirable? And Jesus is walking to the cross and he's giving this ethos that he will now show bodily in the path that he walks to the cross. Yeah, I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm actually going to have to walk it out. As a preacher, that's the scary part of giving a sermon or preaching. Is that you're like, you can never give it from a place of, I know this. I'm awesome. Yay! If you hear that, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> because God will be like, oh, you think you really know it? Let's walk this out now. Let me show you how much you still have to learn. The ethos of the Beatitudes in actuality. So Jesus curses a fig tree. He must be angry. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And here we are walking this path of truth, seeing the beauty of who he is revealed. Man, that's good news, man. Come on. Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, such a beautiful name. Such an amazing name. And he's crossing back and forth between the garden and between the city, fully aware that these will be his last days, and his disciples don't 
really know what's going on, kind of. But he experiences every bit of it. And in John 18, this is the, the time where, you know, I'm trying to figure out if I can show you exactly. At, let's say this is the gate, the east gate. The Garden of Gethsemane is here. The Mount of Olives is here. And so Jesus is coming in and out to the garden, and that's where he goes to pray this agonizing night. And he crosses over this ravine, which is called the Brook Kidron, and it is sort of a prophetic act of him abandoning Israel or abandoning Jerusalem, um, much in the same way that David did in 2 Samuel 15 and 22 when Absalom had taken it over. But Jesus is in this garden. Um, in John 18, it's not up here, um, but it just says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they fell to the ground. And then Jesus said, Whom do you seek? <laughs> Jesus was funny. He was a funny guy. <laughs> We're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. He steps in, they fall back. He's like, who are you looking for again? <laughs> you don't know who you're looking for. It was as if the beauty and the boldness of Jesus standing in his truth had permanently weaponized true beauty had permanently created a reformation. And I love to think of, you know, the most beautiful thing about the winter, to me, is the, is the bare trees. Because that's really what they are. The fig tree gets cursed and withers from the root. It doesn't have any more leaves again. And Jesus tells his disciples, surely I tell you, you pray and ask, anything will be done. Even if you say this mountain, go into the sea, it's going to happen. These trees that exist in the winter, bare, stripped naked, that's really who they are. That's really what they are. And here's Jesus entering this garden, being stripped of everything. Friends, status, comfort, safety. Everything is being taken away, but what remains is this beautiful truth of who he is. And when we build our foundation upon Jesus, the world can take anything from us. And we say, you know what? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they shall be filled. He is coming in. The tree not only represents Israel and Jerusalem and how far they have come from him and how beautiful they seem to be, but don't have any truth in them. And it represents him as well. Everything is beginning to be taken away and stripped. Why do I fear loss so much? Why do I fear not having the adornments that make me seem beautiful? Why do I fear it so much? And I love this reminder of Palm Sunday and Jesus' walk to the cross. He's like, I ain't scared of none of that because I have seen truly what is beautiful. And what is truly beautiful is revolutionary. He steps over the ravine and steps into his destiny, and they fall back like, oh, man. He was supposed to cower. With finality, he steps into his destiny. Sick. There's this quote from uh, Brian Zahn, and it says, it's from his book, Beauty Will Save the World. The Beatitudes and a cross are essentially the same thing, one existing in proclamation, the other existing in demonstration. It is the beauty we are called to emulate as followers of Jesus Christ. The ethos of the Beatitudes and the pathos of the cruciform must be that which gives us our distinctive beauty. Ethos and pathos. The mount and the garden. He's on a mountain proclaiming, blessed are those who do this. Blessed are this that happened. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he goes to the garden and he has to walk it out. The garden of Gethsemane means press. He is not impressive. He is not trying to be impressive. He is being pressed on all sides, yet not crushed or broken. The pressure. But what is coming from that pressure in this olive garden? Butter. You thought I was going to say oil, right? It's oil, actually. It's oil. He's stripped and laid bare, but the truth of who he is is that when you press me, all you're going to get is more anointing. When you press me, I know where my truth is. You're not just going to get a withered, naked tree. You're going to get more preparation. You're going to get this richness. The finest things in life, the two of the finest substances of life come from a lot of pressing, wine and oil. A lot of pressing, a lot of crushing. And Jesus is in this garden, pressure on all sides of him. But what comes back, hey, it's me you're looking for. Ah! Is it me you're looking for? They're like, man, I don't know. I think it was you we were looking for. Let me check my, uh, <laughs> let me check my clipboard, homie. 
pressed on all sides, yet not crushed and not broken. How is, how do our lives go with pain avoidance? Not very well. But he went from the mountain of olives to the press of the olives. And from the ideal to the identification. So many of us have the ideal of who Jesus is. And he is welcoming us into the identification with him. And we can take solace during this week that when he is facing the darkest reality of a road anyone has ever faced, being completely innocent, yet being ushered to the cross, he can do so because the truth of who he is was not going to be bruised and it was not going to be withered and it still stands today and it will stand for all eternity. Don't be impressive. Be okay, be impressed. And mourning for a little while. And being meek for a little while. Because he is bringing us from our ethos to our pathos. He is taking us from, I love Jesus, he's awesome, he's amazing, he's wonderful to the identification with Jesus walking to the cross. But if you press me, you're not going to get no cotton candy. You're just going to get oil. You're just going to get the truth of who Jesus is to me. And he is to us. Ben, you want to come on up? I love the way the scriptures constantly comes alive and is alive to us. It's founded on not some abstract thing of what truth is, but it's founded on the actuality of, of Jesus living and existing. During the Reformation, it was 16th century Martin Luther taking what had become a very ornate religion full of indulgences, full of icons, full of the things that don't seem to have a lot of substance, and attempting to return to some austerity that the early church had, and knowing that we always, we like pretty things, and we like beautiful things, and we like cathedrals with a lot of leaves, but the truth is that Jesus has perm permanently reformed that for us. Permanently reformed what we think of as beautiful. So I want you to close your eyes, put your hands out, receiving position.
I just want to pray for you today that the fruit of your lives will produce an oil that lasts. It says in John 15 that those who abide in me will produce fruit, fruit that lasts. And it's not just leaves. It's not just adornment. It's not just gilded frames. It's not just fully founded in the truth. Father, I just thank you right now and, and pray that you would just drop in everyone's hand a picture of what their fruit looks like, God. As sometimes it, it may be bruised and, and broken and, and filled with things that are, don't seem to be desirable, but I thank you for the anointing that comes from every single piece of fruit that you've given us, God. That Jesus understood in the garden of the press that he didn't have to be impressive. He just stood in truly who he was and he stepped in it with boldness. And I thank you, Father, for that. That this precious anointing ointment that has been made from every moment of their lives, from every disappointment, from every triumph, from every longing for destiny to be fulfilled, that you have permanently reset what beauty is, that blessed are those who are mourned, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I thank you, God, for the press, and I thank you for fruit.